Hi everyone, welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we focus mainly on San Diego cases. My name is Arena. And I'm Renette. Hi, Arena. Hi, Renette. How are How you? How are you? <laughs> we go first. <laughs> I'm doing well, just working a lot, trying not to melt out here in the desert at 108 degrees. <laughs> oh my god. That sounds awful. I mostly just stay indoors where there's air conditioning and avoid the sun at all costs. But, you know, how are you doing? Do you ever see people like running, walking for exercise out there? No. Um, there are there are people out there that are like the extremists where they legit go to certain parts of the desert at its hottest, like at its highest peak um, of temperature wise. So they could like try to withstand it without like... Um. Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? No, don't do that. You're going to die. Yeah, not worth it. Yeah. Is it hot yeah. on there? Um, actually, this weekend was pretty overcast, which was nice, but still gloomy. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I think it was maybe low 80s, uh, so it wasn't too bad. I went for a walk down to Little Italy, and it's still warm enough where you're sweating if you're walking out and about and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing Las Vegas-like. I <laughs> <laughs> oh god at least it's dry though but that's the only good thing yeah that's what people always say though because you know how my mom has a house out in yuma and every time she's like yeah. oh it's 100 and whatever but it's a dry heat but it's like girl it's still fucking hot like it is it fuck. is it's still like you don't want to go out there at all you don't yeah. yeah it's not great well i'm glad to be back to recording with you the last episode that uh, we uploaded felt weird not having you on it with me. Um, it but still anyway, came out really well. It still came out well. Yeah, I just hear my voice, and it's just like, look, I know it's annoying, and but it's just like this is the voice that I was born with, and so fuck, <laughs> I just listen to it, and I'm like, it's so cringing when you hear your voice back. Yes, like it's just. Anyways, today's case is a case that uh, a listener recommended to me. And um, I met him when I was at 3Punk a couple weeks ago with uh, Sal and I were with Erica and her husband. And and they were with some friends and one of them listened to the podcast. He was super nice, him and his wife, and he recommended this case. Okay. So it's um, the... I would say, okay, because I always get confused. Do you refer to it as the victim or as the perpetrator? But we're going to call it the... Leonard Lake and Charles Ning case. Okay. Um, Charles, or yeah, Charles was born in Hong Kong and the last name is spelled NG. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it oh, yeah, properly. Yeah, you just say Ng. Ng, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's the Leonard Lake and Charles Ng case. Um, we'll get into Leonard Lake in a little bit about his background. Um, he was born in San Francisco on October 29th, 1945. His parents separated when he was six years old, and Mm -hmm. he and his siblings moved in with his maternal grandma. I'm not sure if the mom also lived with them. Um, I really couldn't find anything whether she did or not, but either way, we know Leonard and his siblings lived with their grandma. Mm -hmm. Now, he was said to be intelligent, but he did have behavioral problems. He would repeatedly take pictures of his sister nude. Oh. Yeah. And what's even worse is his grandma was okay with it. What? That is, wait, for real? Wait. Yeah, it makes would... no sense at all. And how old were, How old was he? Um, Shoot, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but it said when he was a young teen. So me, I don't know if he was 13, 14, oh, okay. you know, he was young. Oh my gosh, that's um, so strange. That's really disturbing. And there's different sources that actually say she encouraged it. Makes no sense at all. So um, he was addicted to watching pornography and he would force his sisters to perform sexual acts on him. What? And he killed animals. He it started off innocent at first. So his grandma had a garden and there would be mice that would go into this garden. And at first he would get them and nurture them. But eventually uh, he would collect the mice and he started killing them by dissolving them in chemicals. Oh my God. Kind of like, well, 
Jeffrey Dahmer did it with roadkill, but he did it with like live and rodents. Yeah, live mice. Oh, and I, no. I did think of Jeffrey Dahmer too when I read that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Dang, this is like right out the bat. Just this childhood of this guy was immediately toxic and awful and obviously not leading to anything good. No. And it's as I go on, it's just a really wild case. Um, yes. Actually, before this person uh, referred it, I had never heard of it. So I, I, I was surprised. But anyhow, well, Leonard ends up graduating from high school in 1964. And when he was 18 years old, he joins the U.S. Marine Corps. Corp. Um, he carried out, is it corpse or corp? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he pronounced the P. I think it's just corp, right? I don't think so. You're like corpse. <laughs> I, you know, I cannot pronounce words ever, Rena. Most- your, your true crime mind immediately was just like, Yes, Marine Corps. <laughs> exactly. That's why. That's why I'm pronouncing it as corpse. Yes. Um, but he joined the U.S. Marine Corps. He carried out two tours of duty in Vietnam, where he was a radar um, electronics technician. Okay. And it's also around that time where he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder, um, which I googled the traits that come with having that and it says the person shows very little if any interest at all to form relationships with other people and it's just like really difficult for them um, to express emotions and they're usually emotionally cold and detached yeah that's that sounds about right when it comes to serial killers mm-hmm. and he ends up having some sort of breakdown um while in the Marines, and he received psychotherapy for it, but he does eventually end up getting medically discharged. Okay. So after that, he ends up moving to San Jose, and he becomes a student at San Jose State University. Mm-hmm. But he only lasts uh, for about one semester. Actually, he did last a full semester. After that, he decided to drop out And at this time is when the whole hippie movement was like going strong in San Francisco and Leonard loved it. Um, He wanted so much to be a part of it. So he ends up dropping out of university and moving to San Francisco and he ends up moving into a hippie commune. Okay. At that commune, he meets a woman that he would end up marrying. Um, I don't know her name, but anyways, the marriage didn't didn't last too long before they ended up getting divorced and it's said that they divorced due to Leonard making pornography videos that involved himself as the star and these videos were with other women oh my god and these videos usually involved sadomasochism and bondage and his wife was not okay with that and that's why she divorced him I mean I don't blame her neither do I and in 1980 Leonard was convicted convicted of theft and he so he stole a car um was caught and he received one year of probation for that Uh and then the following year he moved into greenfield ranch which was um sort of like another hippie commune located near calpella california which was north of ukiah Uh and he stays there for i think it was almost eight years and he focused off of living off of the land which i thought that was cool and um Renette's like I got a garden I could totally live off my land <laughs> yes I can well I know, kind yeah. of, you, you grow a lot I'm surprised how much yeah oh my god and I was so like I know this is like I'm sidetracking away from this case but I was so sad yesterday because speaking of mice um if there's one thing that my husband sell is not okay with and really just like freaks him out and grosses him out is mice and we've been finding mice Uh, uh, and I ended up having to like put away all of my watermelon in one of my garden beds I had probably 50 something watermelons like some were full size some were babies but not like the full size ones were not ready to be harvested yet but since they're a very invasive plant and take over the whole bed a lot of the mice i guess were hiding in there so oh god i was after i took a shower and i was like i told sal i was all crying i was like oh, my baby watermelons, watermelons. Oh, i know damn. uh anyways damn uh, stupid mice. yeah <laughs> so anyways 
he was living off of the land and at that time he met a woman named Clara Lynn and he nicknamed her Cricket. So they actually met and I thought of Christina when I read this. They actually met at a Renaissance fair. <laughs> Christina being dragged away to like a a hippie commune and then also like being at a Renaissance fair back in those days. If she yes. were she she'd be living in there too. <laughs> But remember when we were with her that last time, she's like, I would not join or I wouldn't join a cult or whatever it was she yeah, said. She's like, no, I could tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so anyways, um, they meet at the Renaissance Fair and they fall in love and they get married. Now, Cricket was different than Leonard's first wife in the sense that she was actually OK with Leonard. Um making pornography like videos and stuff mm-hmm. and she was actually even okay with starring in some of those films and around this time is when leonard uh he starts to think that the world was facing a nuclear holocaust and he thought in order to survive this disaster he needed to create a bunker so then he starts building on one on like that hippie commune he starts building a bunker but the owner of it was not okay um, he didn't want a bunker being built on his property, so he ordered Leonard to stop. Yeah. Now, Leonard got pissed off, and he just decided it was best for him and his wife to leave the commune altogether. Mm-hmm. So when he's upset about this whole situation and talking with Cricket about it, she tells Leonard um, that her family owned a cabin in the woods in Northern California so they speak to Cricket's family who give them the okay to rent out the cabin. And so they start renting out that cabin. Oh, okay. Now, the cabin was in Wilseyville, California, which was located in Calaveras County, um, which Calaveras means skulls in Spanish. And it's located in the remote fo- foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And mm-hmm. it was said to be really like peaceful and quiet over there. But the history of Calaveras was actually quite sad. Um, so when Calaveras County was discovered, the river that ran through it, it was dry. And in that river, there was a Spanish explorer named Gabriel Moraga. He found lots of schools of the Miwok Indians who had lived there. Oh, wow. Dang, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And they, since they were the original, um, is it inhibitors or inhabitors of the <laughs> area? Um, they... You know, so they were the original ones that were living there. And the climate there was mild and there was like um, an abundance of acorns for them to gather. They were there were plenty of edible plants. There was lots of salmon and wildlife. So it was easy for them to live off of that land. And that sounds really nice, actually. (laughs) It does. You should Google it. I Googled it and I was like, oh, this looks really pretty. Um, But they're believed they were believed to have been killed in tribal conflicts. And the tribe was also destroyed by the influx of gold miners heading into the area since it was really rich with gold. Oh, that sucks. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, so soon after, Leonard and Cricket, they move into the cabin and Leonard ends up meeting a man named Charles Ng. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly known on how they met, but there were several sources that said that um, Leonard placed an ad in a survivalist magazine and charles responded to it i I don't know what leonard advertised in this said magazine but anyway that's believed how the two met okay and so let me see let me tell you a little bit about charles ing uh charles was born in hong kong on december 24th 1960 he was the youngest of three children his dad was a wealthy executive and so was his mom um, so he grew up with money and his dad was actually really strict and abusive. Um, when Charles was a teenager, he was said to be a loner, but he was always getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, he usually, he actually got expelled from several different schools. And when he was 15 years old, he was arrested for shoplifting. So his dad, just so tired of all of his stuff, decided to send him to a boarding school in England But when he got to that boarding school in England, shortly after, he started stealing from his classmates. 
So they ended up what? expelling him and he was sent back to Hong Kong. He was stealing after, and he's like a wealthy, he had money. He was just yeah, but you, like, you know, like I mentioned bit. before, like yeah. Winona Ryder, like what is it called? Is it kleptomania? Kleptomania. Or? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just, that's so strange to me. Like, I don't, obviously it's, it's a, like a mental disorder too, but mm-hmm. um, I just don't understand it. I don't know. That's crazy. Especially people that come from money. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just the thrill maybe, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Like getting away with like stealing something. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in 1978, he ended up getting a school visa and he began to study biology at a college in Belmont, California. But same like Leonard, he only lasted for one semester be- before he decided to drop out. Oh, they're perfect for each other. Match made in hell. (laughs) And uh, soon after he dropped out of university, he ended up, um, he was involved in a car accident. So he actually did a hit and run. And to avoid prosecution, he decided to join the U.S. Marine Corps. So also kind of like Leonard, right? They're soulmates. Um, (laughs) Yes, they are. Where is my soulmate? (laughs) God damn. <laughs> damn, they they found each other. Like I can't even get a text back. No, I was kidding. <laughs> Gonna put you a make your profile on Christian Mingo Arena. Oh no. <laughs> I mean maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I'll try anything um, at this point. <laughs> so that was in late October of nineteen seventy nine. Um now his time in the Marines didn't last long. I think it was Right under a year of serving, he ends up getting arrested by the military police because he stole automatic fire weapons from a Hawaiian military base. Oh, my God. Okay. So he was faced to set um, a a military judge, but he ends up escaping custody and he heads back to Northern California. And that's when him and Leonard meet. Oh, my God. That's not. This is just all a recipe for a disaster. It is. So Leonard is living in the pretty, you know, isolated property and he's building that bunker on the property. And it's actually said um, that Leonard's neighbor in the beginning started helping Leonard build the bunker. Um, And so it's getting built and then Charles starts helping Leonard with it. And at this point, Leonard had actually killed a couple of people. Um, Nobody knew about it, but he had killed his brother, Donald, and he also murdered his best friend. Wait, what? He killed his best friend to actually just steal his best friend's identity. He killed his own brother? Yes. And his best friend? What? Yes. So I'll I'll tell you about the brother. Okay. Um, Leonard's younger brother, Donald, was... uh, he was hit by a train when he was a child and due to that accident, he suffered severe mental problems. Oh my God. Um, horrible, right? Yeah. Um, he, but he was described as just super sweet and kind, but this fucking asshole Leonard resented him because he was jealous of the attention that Donald was getting from their mom. Oh my God. He got hit by a freaking train, Leonard. Right. Like you want to get hit by a train? (laughs) Exactly. I wish he did. Yeah, right? Hold, I know, right? that he did, he's yeah. Physically, so he can't yes. do anything. <laughs> he deserves it. Yeah. Leonard referred to his younger brother Donald as a leech whenever he talked about oh, him, no. and he said Donald didn't deserve to live. Oh, my God. This guy is cold. cold, cold, cold. In December of 1982, Donald was living with his mom in San Francisco. I think he was 32 years old at that time, so he was already grown, right? But... Anyways, he was living with his mom in San Francisco when Leonard stopped by saying that he was going to go on a road trip. And he asked Donald if he wanted to come along with him. So Donald went along and unfortunately he was never seen again. Um, there, Donald and Leonard's mom ended up reporting him missing. Um, and But still, he was like literally never seen again. But oh Leonard actually ended up stealing his brother's identity and he started cashing his disability checks. Oh, my God. 
And how he was never caught for that, I do not know. And I don't know how long that went on for. But later, Leonard ended up writing a fake-ass letter, sending it to their mother, claiming to be Donald, um, saying that he moved away and decided to go live with drug dealers in Nevada. Oh, okay, because that makes sense. Yes. So, like, his body wasn't ever found, but it is believed that he did kill his brother and then the best friend it was confirmed later that he did um he murdered his best friend to also steal his identity do you know do you know how he did it like was it like a like did he have weapons or did he strangle them or what i'm not sure how he murdered his best friend oh okay but and the brother either because they never found him right right okay right so um yeah, so that's, you know, nobody knows about those crimes that he's committed. And Leonard and Charles start getting closer to each other. And that's when they start feeling more comfortable around each other. And they start opening up about their fantasies of raping and murdering women oh, together. Great. They're bonding. <laughs> yep. So that was a little background on Leonard and Charles's childhood up Work. until the day that they met. But now I'm going to have to like fast forward to how they get caught. Okay. Uh-huh. So that was just the little background on them. Um, so it's June 2nd, 1985. And Charles and Leonard, they go to um, like a hardware lumber store. And Leonard waits in the car while Charles goes inside the store to get a vice. Uh, do you know what a vice is? Oh, advice? I thought you said advice. I was like, advice about what? (laughs) Advice? No, advice. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, God, I keep Uh, hitting the microphone. Sorry. um, I'm looking it up. I just, like, V-I-C-E? V-I-S-E. Oh. I also had to Google (laughs) what it is because I didn't know what it was. Oh, it's that thing that when you spin it and it tightens or opens. Okay, I I know that is. Yeah. I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah, vice, oh. it's the movable jaw that's used to hold an object in place, usually yeah, attached I had to, to some use sort one of workbench. Yeah, I had to use one of those to fix my fence, and but I called it just the, I don't know what I, I, I think I called it the spinny thing. Claws. <laughs> the claw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so they go to that store, and um, Charles ends up stealing a vice, Okay. Uh-huh. And I hope I'm pronouncing it properly. But anyhow, he yeah. literally walks outside of the store with it. And he walks towards uh, a gold Honda Prelude that is waiting for him. Now, in that store, there was a man named John. And he had been a reserved police reserved police officer for the South San Francisco Police Department for almost 30 years. And he actually seen what happened. He's seen Charles walking around the store looking suspicious and then walking out without paying for the vice. So John ends up phoning the police. And then he walks towards the car where Charles walked into where Leonard was actually in there waiting for him. <laughs> and, you know, so John goes out there and he sees in the back seat there was a box of wrenches and then the trunk was open and so he looked inside and he's seen the vice that charles had stolen Uh um so leonard ends up approaching because at that point leonard was out of the car with charles um so leonard starts walking towards john and started talking and he gets scared and he told john that he would pay for the vice at this time a police officer arrived on the scene already because, you know, John had phoned the police. Oh, okay. um, the police officer ran the license plate on the vehicle and the plate was registered to Leonard. But when the officer ran the info for the car, the car was actually registered to another man and it was registered to a man named Paul Cosner. Now, Paul had been reported missing in November of 1984. Uh So the officer looks inside the trunk of the car and next to the vice, there's a backpack. Inside that backpack, there was a semi-automatic gun that had a silencer. So the gun was illegally modified. Uh um, And the gun was actually registered to a man named Scott Stapley. 
So the officer asked Leonard for his ID and Leonard, um, he hands over a driver's license that had the name Scott Stapley. Mm-hmm. But when the officer looked at it, like the picture on the ID and looked at yeah. Leonard, it, he looked like nothing oh like the my- man on the ID. Oh my God. So dumb. It's such, he's so stupid. And yeah. Oh, and now I should mention at some point while the police officer was talking with Leonard, Charles booked it. <laughs> he straight ran the fuck away from he's there. like, bye. Mm-hmm. And he was able to get away because by the time the officer noticed that Charles was no longer there, it was just too late. <laughs> so the officer told Leonard that they were going to take him to the station to question him about that weapon. Um, So he was handcuffed and placed into the police vehicle and they drive to the station. Now, during the car ride, someone radios the driving officer and they said that the Asian male that stole the vice, his name is Charles Ng. So the officer requests a background check on Charles. Now, mind you, Leonard can hear all of this because this is like on a walkie talkie thing. Yeah. And um, they end up getting a hit. They find out everything about Charles and his criminal history. Oh, crap. Once at the police station, Leonard gets fingerprinted. And that's when they confirm who Leonard is, to which Leonard admitted, yes, that's me, Leonard Lake. They put him in a secure holding room. And once he was in there, he told them that he was a fugitive from justice and he wanted to offer a statement. <clears throat> Hold on. A fugitive from justice? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Keith, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck that means. Yeah. Like, oh. But that's what he said he was, and he wanted to offer a statement. So he asked the police um, officer for a piece of paper and a pencil and a glass of water. Okay. So the officer, he says, okay, and he gets Leonard his requested items. So Leonard is alone in that secured room, okay, while the officer said, I'll be back in a few minutes. Okay. When the officer returns back to that room a few minutes later, Leonard was on the floor foaming at the mouth and convulsing. Did he stab himself with a pen? No. They oh. call the paramedics. They thought that maybe he was, like, having some sort of seizure or something. Oh, okay, okay. No, but watch. Once he was at the hospital and they had the test ran, they uh, they realized that Leonard was brain dead. The autopsy results determined that Leonard died from cyanide poisoning. He had a pill hidden in his mouth? Yes. Oh. So the thing is, Leonard always kept, uh, some cyanide pills in his pocket in the event that if he is ever in police custody, he he could take them. Dang, how did he get away with that? They didn't check his, like, the inside of his mouth or, you know, his well, pocket. The inside stuff. of, um, I think it was the jacket he was wearing, he had, like, sewn in the secret pocket. Oh, and then they're tiny, so they probably didn't even, like, feel it. Yes. Oh, my God, what a coward, little shit. A fucking coward. He he straight did that shit because he didn't want to be in jail and he figured that he'd rather go out this way instead of spending his life in prison. Wow. Well, I mean, that just shows you he knew what he was doing was bad and he just didn't want to have to deal with the consequences. Yeah, that's crazy. Of course. <laughs> and so remember how I mentioned that Leonard offered to write his statement? Um, he actually ended up writing like a little letter instead. And... I guess it was kind of like his goodbye note because he knew that he ingested a pill that was going to fucking kill him. Yeah. And said, so this note was to a woman named Lynn. Now, remember his wife, um, Cricket, his real, her real name was Carolyn. So oh, well, okay. they think it was made out for her. Yeah. Um, but I'll read what it said. Okay. So it reads, <clears throat> Dear Lynn, I love you and I forgive you. Freedom is better than all else. I'm sorry. Mom, Patty, and all. I'm sorry for all the trouble. Love, Leonard. Yeah, so... in the beginning, he said, I forgive you? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Because she ends up... She's the one who left him. She divorced him. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So Leonard, he ends up passing away four days later, and police issue a warrant for Charles's arrest for mm-hmm. the shoplifting. At least they can get him on those charges yeah. for now, right? So Leonard is dead. Charles is on the run. And so police end up locating um, Leonard's mom. So she lived about an hour north of San Francisco. And they drive to her home. And when she opens the door, they find Leonard's ex-wife, Cricket. Um, So at first they didn't know uh, that she was an ex-wife of Leonard. So when they introduce themselves and, you know, why they are there, they ask her, what's her name? And she said, Clara Lynn, whatever her last name Mm -hmm. is. And when she gave her name, they recognize it. They recognized her name because, mind you, they didn't know he had like an ex-wife. They didn't know his back history. They knew about Charles, but not so much on Leonard's. Um, But they recognized her name because it was on an electric bill that was found in that um, gold Honda Prelude that was registered to a man, Paul Cosner, that was missing, remember? Well, okay. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot going on. It'd be kind of confusing. But um, why was her electric bill in this missing man's car, right? What? So um, they started to believe that Carolyn was the Lynn that Leonard had addressed in the goodbye note. Mm-hmm. So when they ask her why her electric bill was in a missing person's car. She tells him that the address linked to the bill um, is for a cabin that her family owns in Calaveras County. So they asked her if they could take a look at that cabin, and she told them that she was too busy and she wouldn't be available until the following day. So they wait until the next day, but they did tell her, do not go to that cabin until they get there first the next day, to yeah. which she said, okay. So the next morning comes and detectives meet with Cricket and they were surprised to see Leonard's mom with her. So they actually met at a post office in town and then they drive together to the cabin. (laughs) Now, when they get to the cabin, um, Cricket and Leonard's mom, they end up bringing up into the conversation that they had went to the cabin the night before. Oh, my God. Their excuse was they said that Leonard was just super, super messy and dirty, and they wanted to tidy it up a little bit. Oh, hell no. What? Are you Who kidding? Who knows what they could have gotten rid of what? during that exactly. time, right? Oh, my God. That's so annoying. It is. So while while they were walking about the property, detectives see a cinder block bunker, and so they asked Cricket if they could search it. But she said that she didn't have a key to it. But she also said that she didn't give permission um, yeah. for them to search it because she's doing this like willingly. They don't have a search warrant yet at that point. Um, Leonard believed that, you know, there was going to be a nuclear holocaust. And that's why she explained that he built it for that exact reason. And since police didn't have an official warrant at that time, they were super limited on where they can look. Um, so once inside, they searched the cabin, you know, the house, when they went into a room and looked at the bed that was there, it looked odd to them because there were holes that had been drilled into the posts of the bed and on the floor, like Mm -hmm. as if someone had been tied up to the bed. Um, And then they noticed, um, uh, there was like a camera recording equipment near the bed, like facing the bed. Oh God. And one of the officers thought that the equipment looked super familiar because um, there was a family with the last name Dubs um, where it went missing. So, okay, that family, the Dubs family had been reported missing and the equipment in that cabin was the same equipment that was stolen from the Dubs family. (laughs) So the officer that recognized it called the police station and gives them the serial number that was on the equipment to see if it matched the Dubs family uh, stolen equipment, and it was a match. Oh, so how did this missing family stolen equipment end up in this cabin, right? I mean, stolen car, like, what the fuck? Yeah. And that's when Cricket said, you know what, because she heard that it was a match. She got super nervous, and she said she was no longer giving consent for them to search the property, and she asked them to leave, which they did. Oh, God. This is uh, so much, so many secrets, and, like, just everything was stolen. Everything was uh-huh. going up. Dang. Uh-huh. 
So, you know, they called in to obtain the search warrant, which thankfully they were able to obtain a warrant that very same afternoon. Oh, good. So they go back to do a deep, proper search and they open that bunker. When they open it, they see photos taped to the wall of 21 different young ladies. Oh, no. They found a journal of Leonard's. And in it, he wrote um, the collector. Like, so that was like in quotes. Oh, no. Um, that was his. The like- collector. It was actually a novel. I've never heard of it, but have you heard of it? It was a novel? No. I didn't know. I didn't but know that. He wrote that on the outside of his journal. So it was a novel written by John Fowles, and it's a story of a young man. Um, I'm sorry. It's the story of a young woman named Miranda who gets kidnapped and essentially becomes a sex slave to a fucking psychopath. Oh, God. And both Leonard and Charles love this book. Oh, my And in this journal, he wrote about his fantasies that he wanted to bring to light, and he calls it the Miranda Project because he loved that novel so much, and I think he got a lot of his ideas off of it. I don't know. Oh, God, that's so disturbing. Now, during their search, um, oh, and in it, it was a 250-page novel. (laughs) Excuse me. That talks about horrible stuff, which I'll get into later. (laughs) But during their search, they find, uh, because these fuckers love to steal all the time, they find stolen vehicles that belong to people who were reporting missing. So not just that gold Honda Prelude, there was other vehicles. Oh, God. Um, There was a lot of tools that had dried up blood. Um, they realized in the cabin there was a hidden room. And inside that room, there was a small bed, a lamp, and there were books. And on the wall, there was a wooden plaque that was engraved with the words Operation Miranda. So also off of that novel. This sounds like a fucking nightmare. A horror movie. Imagine it's like this cabin in the woods, isolated. In the middle of nowhere with this secret room and then this bunker with like torture tools and all this shit oh my god yes and they also found a an entirely separate secret room and that was inside the bunker (laughs) now there was a fake door like if you were looking at it you wouldn't notice that a door was there it was super super small and there was a homemade wooden cot in it and a shelf that had some like soap and toothpaste like toiletries and that sort of stuff now this is some Crap. Taped to that wall was a typed out list of rules. Now let me read you some of those rules. Okay. <laughs> oh no. Number one, I must always be ready to service my master. Ugh. I must be clean, brushed, and made up with my cell neat. Uh. Two, I must never speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I must never look my master in the eyes, but must keep my eyes downcast. Three, I must never show disrespect either verbally or silent. I must never cross my arms or legs in front of my body or clench my fists. And unless eating, I must always keep my lips parted. Four, I must be obedient completely in all things. I must obey immediately and without question or comment. And it says that there's any disobedience, any pain, trouble, or annoyance caused by me to my master, it will be grounds for punishment. That's just a few of the rules. I've left some out. Wow. That is insane. Just like you literally can't do anything or also get punished. Yeah. Not even with cross. Don't cross your legs or your arms in front of you. I wonder what and keeping the lips parted. Open. Oh, it's like to not hide anything. Maybe like, and keeping your fists unclenched. Like no hiding anything in your mouth or your hands. I don't know. Like what? <laughs> Who knows what was going on in the sick mind? It, and yeah, it, was, no. it sounded kind of similar to. Um, Gosh, what was that serial oh, killer? The, the toy the box killer. Toy box killer. Yep, I thought of that when he had the tape that he would play for his victims, and it would just basically describe what was going to happen to them 
for the, over the next several weeks and what the rules were. That sounded Have just you ever like listened that. to the tape? Yeah, I did actually. And I kind of regret it. <laughs> it made me feel like literally sick to my stomach. I was like, holy crap. And like his whole demeanor when he was saying it was just so just like casual, like as if it was like the first day of school or something. And he was just reading a list of what his classmates should be doing. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So they realize in that small room, um, the window is actually a two-way glass. And there was like some sort of button that you could press in there. So if the person who was in the room pressed it, the person from the outside can hear so they can, you know, talk that way Mm -hmm. to each other. Um, They end up finding skeletal remains of different people on the property. Oh, God. And as they were walking about, there were like several areas where... uh, you, they can see that something was being burned there for a long time. So I don't I don't know if it was the bodies or what it was. Okay. Um, well, it had to have been, I think, I'm pretty certain, because there was about 40 pounds of burned and smashed human fragments. Oh, my gosh. That would have what been a minimum know? of at least 11 bodies. Wow. At least. Holy crap. And they... Um, found a plastic container that was buried on the property. And in that container, there was videotapes. And on these tapes, it shows Leonard and Charles sexually assaulting two different women, using a knife to tear their clothing and bra. Um, Another video shows the whole Operation Miranda thing. Um, Like they talk about what their plan is with Operation Miranda. Yeah. there was a young woman named Kathy chained to a chair and she was forced to strip dance in front of the Charles and Leonard. Um, In another video, Charles is on a bed with Kathy while Leonard was taking pictures. And um, so there, and mind you, I should say in some of these videos, his ex-wife cricket is there like not, during any actual like murder because I don't believe there's any murders that took place on tape but she's aware of women that were like kept there against their will and the mom too I bet right she must it have doesn't known. have the mom on the video but it has cricket um, but the mom I don't know I mean I mean because she, she was with her saying that they had cleaned up the night before so. yes uh, and she was a terrible mom that, like, you said that sh- he she encouraged um, Leonard to, like, take photos of, like, his sisters, right? Uh, that was the grandma, but... Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. But oh, remember when, you know, Donald went missing, I don't know, I th- I'm sure she had to have known what type of evil monster her son was. And, yeah, yeah she did file a missing persons report for Donald, but... Oh, I feel okay. like she had to have known deep down that something was, you know, off. Leonard did something to his brother. Yeah, she probably didn't want to believe it, but oh, okay, sorry, I was getting confused with the grandma and the mom, but oh, that's okay. It's confusing. There's like a lot of people in this story <laughs> and stuff, but yeah. Um, so, anyways, they're doing the search of the property, and you know, they find the skeletal remains, um, and actually, in that search, they find the bodies of a man named Harvey, Deborah, and Sean Dubs. Um, these oh. are the people, remember, where the videotape, yeah. where the serial number matched, so they found their actual, like, full bodies. Oh, my gosh, all three of them. Um, mm-hmm. So let me tell you a little bit about that Dubs family and how they crossed paths with, with Charles and Leonard. Yeah. So Harvey Dubs, he posted an ad for audio and video equipment for sale in a newspaper. And on July 25th, 1984, Harvey Dubs actually told his coworker that he was going to meet someone that responded to that ad. And about 45 minutes after that, Harvey's wife, Deborah, she was just on the phone chatting with her friend. And Deborah told her friend that they were expecting someone to come over to talk to her husband and purchase the video equipment. And at that time, her friend Deborah actually heard um, or Deborah's friend actually heard someone ring the doorbell and knock. So 
So Deborah said, oh, I think the person's here. Let me go. I got to go. So she hung up. And when her friend tried calling Deborah the next day, Deborah didn't answer, which was not like Deborah. Yeah. The Dubs family's neighbor um, across the street, they reported seeing an Asian man walking down the Dubs front doorsteps, struggling, carrying a suitcase. And there was a car waiting for this Asian man. And the man in the car walked out of the driver's side and he opened the trunk. And that's when the Asian man put the suitcase in the trunk and got in the vehicle. And then they drove away. Oh, my God. Now, Harvey didn't show up for work the next day and he didn't even call his boss to notify him. And that was just super unlike him. (laughs) Um, So... Harvey's employer ended up getting a call from a man who called himself James. And he said that Harvey Dubs was not going into work. He said that Harvey, excuse me, had to go to Washington State for a family emergency. Now, his boss thought it was strange because he didn't have any relatives from there, at least to his knowledge. He didn't know that Harvey had relatives from there because Harvey was from New York. So he was from the the east coast and also like who is this person calling in for harvey like right who the hell are you (laughs) right yeah and so when his boss asked this caller for his phone number the caller hung up oh my gosh now deborah dubs the father her father ended up filing a missing uh missing persons report um, during this time, another neighbor that lived in an apartment literally directly below the Dubs family, they said that July 27th, so two days after anyone had seen them, she heard footsteps at around 11 a.m. coming from the Dubs family apartment. So she steps outside to take a look, and she's seen an Asian man closing um, the family's front door. So this is two days later. And apparently he left the keys in the door and then went downstairs carrying a large duffel bag and some other large bag. I think maybe it was a large suitcase. Uh, But she said the bags looked to be really heavy and stuffed full. And definitely the size where you can fit a body in. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. Yeah. She tried to confront him and ask like, hey, who are you? Like, I haven't seen the family, what's going on? But uh, when she tried to get his attention, she said that he ignored her and continued walking. And then soon after, a car comes pulling up quickly, a gold Honda Prelude, and the Asian men entered the car with the suitcase and bags and drove off. And they were never seen again until they were found buried on that property. Oh my God. Just like in the middle of the like day it seems like because this neighbor was just like hello who are you wow back at that time there was a video cameras ring doorbells all that sort of stuff yeah now remember i mentioned the name paul cosner um that was the name that was attached to the The vehicle that leonard and charles Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so he lived in san francisco with his girlfriend marilyn and on november 2nd 1984 he vanished He was meeting up with a potential buyer for a car that he had listed for sale in the newspaper. Um, But he told his girlfriend, who he lived with, that he would be home by 8 p.m. that night so the two of them can watch a movie together. Well, he never returned home. The car, um, or I'm sorry, the following day, Paul's sister filed a missing persons report. But unfortunately, Paul was never seen again. Oh, man, that's so sad. Now, another story I'm going to have to tell you is about Leonard's neighbors. They lived next to them. Um, (laughs) Again, it was like an isolated, like it was a a pretty remote property, but he did have neighbors. And so Leonard's neighbors, Lonnie, rented a house next to Leonard's cabin. Um, The two houses actually shared a common driveway. And Lonnie lived there with his fiance Brenda and their one-year-old son and their friend Robin. Robin is a male, not a female. Okay. And sometime after they moved in, um, the landlord started receiving calls from Leonard. And Leonard was complaining to the landlord that someone was firing gunshots from the house and that Lonnie wasn't like locking the gate to the common driveway. Mm-hmm. Um, while Lonnie and his 
girlfriend, Brenda, they never liked Leonard. They always said that he was really rude and obnoxious. They even said that he was demented. Um, In fact, Brenda felt super uncomfortable around him because apparently Leonard asked her to pose nude so he can take pictures of her, just like he did with his younger sisters. Oh, my God. What? Uh, Just like so blatantly just ask that kind of question to someone Mm -hmm. thinking like, oh, yeah, we'll say yes. Yeah. So she, Brenda, ends up telling Lonnie about it. And obviously he was super unhappy about that. So Lonnie, who was with his roommate Robin, they were with some friends in Yuma, Arizona at like a motorcycle rally. And Lonnie is telling the friends about what Leonard said to his girlfriend. And he was very upset about it. And he told them that on my drive home tonight, I'm going to confront Leonard about those sexual advances that he made towards his girlfriend. Uh, no, 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 no. So no. Lonnie and Robin left that gathering to confront Leonard, and they were never seen again. Oh, my God. This is scary because it's like the other two were talking about how this family wanted to sell some camera equipment. This other guy just wanted to sell his car. And then this this couple just confronting their neighbor about some inappropriate shit, and they're just gone, like like as if nothing happened. So gone, mm-hmm. yeah. In one of those videos that were recovered um, at the cabin, Brenda, Solani's girlfriend, appears in it, and in it, Charles is cutting off her clothes with a knife. As Leonard tells her that her baby is the one-year-old, remember they have a one-year-old, is going to be taken away. And they said that the baby was sound asleep, dead like a rock. Oh, my God. Did they they kill the baby? During the police investigation, the bodies of Lonnie and Robin, they were found buried in in a shallow grave about a mile away from the cabin. But Brenda and their one-year-old infant son have never been found. Now, I don't know if those were some of, like, the burned, like, Mm -hmm. um, remains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they definitely killed at least 11 people, but it's suspected that it could have been as high as 25 people. And there's more stories that you can read on it, but this podcast episode would go on forever. I just (laughs) picked a few to talk about. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, like I remember, so that's uh, a story of what they found on the cabin. And remember, when Leonard was detained before he took the cyanide pills, Charles knew his ass was in trouble. So, remember, he booked it. Yeah. He booked it from that hardware store. Um, He actually took a flight to Chicago, and Cricket drove him to the airport. (gasps) This bitch Cricket. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'll try yes. To mix. <laughs> that was stupid. Oh. Cut that out, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it in, Sal. <laughs> no. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> okay. He then met up with a friend, um, and they went to Detroit. Um, but eventually, at some point, he crosses into Canada. <laughs> and he starts shoplifting again. Oh, and great. He gets, uh, yeah, he can't help himself. He was arrested in Calgary, Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually ended up shooting the security guard that was trying to arrest him. Oh, my God. He was convicted and charged and sentenced to a little over, I think it was four years of uh, prison time in Canada. No. Before they released him, the Canadian judge said he should be extradited to the U.S. for trial for 19 of the 25 charges that were filed against him in the U.S. as well. Um, but Charles appeals the decision multiple times but gets denied. And this goes on until 1991. Oh my God. Eventually, he does get extradi- extradited to the U.S., and he dragged it out for another seven or so years. What the hell? How does that happen? I don't know, but it was the most costly trial. His trial cost California approximately $20 million. What? At that time, it was the most expensive trial in the state's history. $20 million. It, it, I read that it was two times more than the O.J. Simpson trial. 
Oh my God. And that's insane how like, I've never heard of this. And I never did either. What the hell? I, I, so <laughs> it's just ugh. how I don't understand how you can delay something so important, so serious for so long. Like um, I've heard, I've heard cases um, when I listen to Dateline podcast. Um, uh-huh. I've heard cases where some like clients or criminals on purpose they will drag things out, and their defense lawyers will find any little thing to have a retrial or you know to have something removed as evidence, and it takes so long. The process of every little change or every little thing that they want to appeal. It's just mm-hmm. like takes so long, and I just don't understand why. It's crazy. Yeah, well, it's like uh, Larry Milliere, the Chula Vista mom case yeah. that happened during COVID. So, I know it's, it's frustrating. But Charles was um, indicted on twelve counts, and actually d- during that time, I should probably not be eating cheese while I'm talking. Oh, um, <laughs> he went through ten attorneys during this time. That's ten. another thing. Yep. Yep, they go through. Yeah, they change. They change their mind about a lot of things, and they just drag it out. What assholes! Mm-hmm. Well, so Charles claimed to have no role in the killings, and okay. he told the court the court that Leonard acted alone, and he just said that he was under the influence of Leonard, who orchestrated the killings. Oh yeah, sure. Blame the dead guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, mean- I should mention. Yeah. That Leonard's ex-wife Cricket, she cooperated with investigators and actually received legal immunity from prosecution. Oh no. She should have I been, was so she upset. Been put away. Away. She definitely she should. Away. Yeah. What the I, hell? I, I was so upset when I read this because she knew about the kidnapping and murders. Like she knew yeah. so she just claimed to not have any involvement in the actual murder. Um I think what she did is she probably removed videotapes from the crime scene. Yeah. That night, remember? Mm-hmm. Um because in one of the videos they did find she was seen saying how she'd like to have schoolgirls do in quotes interesting things to her. Oh my god. That is so And she was also seen on video like joking about people disappearing. Evil. They're all evil. Well, she ended up like getting married and living like Getting married to some like not wealthy but like upper middle class man, and she has like a whole ass different name. Yeah, some bullshit. And she doesn't get charged with anything, so like she never has to report that she is a felon or you know an ex whatever. Like nothing. Nothing. Wow, that was so frustrating to me to read. Which it's like it sucks that that happens, but I kn- I understand why a lot of times police officers and investigators and lawyers have to do this because to get any information out, like they're like, all right, we got this deal for you. Like we need as much information. Like tell us what you know, and then they yes. they get away with this shit though. But it's like, you know, what what can you do? <laughs> it's exactly. Difficult. Yeah. So the trial ends up lasting um, eight months, and the jury convicted Charles of 11 counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to death. Um, Charles remains on death row today at San Quentin State Prison. That's another thing. People on death row, why are they just sitting there for, like, decades? Yeah, when are they going to, like, take them out? I know. I wonder why that takes such a long time, the process. Because there's no, there's know, no a chance of appeal, right? There's no chance no. to appeal that. So what the what's the point? Like, just get rid of them. Yeah, but he's his ass is sitting there. I hope that he's living every single day of his life miserable. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope he gets the same treatment that he did to these people in those bunkers and in that secret bedroom shit with the torture tools and stuff i hope he gets that with those prisoners like every day (laughs) so do i because can you imagine like the fear that these poor women poor victims because it's also like male like that these poor victims felt like it's just awful they were fucking monsters 
Both of them were monsters. Actually, all three of them were monsters because I feel like Cricket, too, is a monster. The fact that she just, like, let shit happen and she was just there cooperating and she wasn't being held against her will. She could have reported any of this before more deaths happened. She could have reported this so many freaking times, right? Yeah. And I don't know the mom. Like, I don't know his mom. The fact that she probably, I feel like she knew deep down in her heart that he had something to do with Donald's disappearance. I mean, she had to have known that he was uh, cashing his disability checks. I don't know. People are crazy. The way they cover up for their kids and family members, you won't catch my ass doing that. Yes. No, that's insane. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you guys for listening, and um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.